0: Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the big wide world. I am Stephen Drew. I've got the blind shut and it's getting warm out there. I'm boiling. So it must be we're on our way to summer. But until then, I am joined here with a fantastic guest today. And we're going to talk all about the big wide world of architecture. And more importantly as well, and close to home for me, because I used to study in Manchester architecture. I want to know what's been happening up in the north of England at the moment, so I'm joined here by marketing extraordinaire and architect from before, Paul. In Paul, how are you today, my friend? I'm good, thank you. I'm good, thank you. It's not, it's a bit cloudier up here, but then again, we are up north, up
1: north. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't expect of That's <laughs> in Manchester, but no, no, I'm well, I'm well, thank you. Managed to avoid COVID and other things, but um, yeah, um, I'm I'm good. How are you, Stephen?
0: I'm all right. Well, I was I was a bit under the weather last week, but we're getting there. We're getting. I'm glad there. You, I'm,
1: so, I'm, and just I'm glad you're better. Sorry.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll get there. We'll we'll survive. Can't keep can't keep us down. The show goes on. Now we know each other and initially met on Clubhouse last year. But for everyone else that hasn't met you before, Paul, do you want to tell me in your own words what you're up to and maybe a bit of your background? Okay, well, um, I,
1: I, you're quite right, and I, I, yeah, we did meet in a clubhouse, which is it, which is always good. And I've I've been following your um, your your career it, with great interest. Um, well, no, I've I've had a bit of a weird career, to be honest. I'd love to say it was planned, but actually, it wasn't. It was just um, I started off training in architecture in Manchester, um, like yourself, but a long time before you did, um, when it was Manchester Poly before it became Manchester School of Architecture, about when I was actually in my uh, my post-grad. So I qualified in Manchester and I was picked up as a practice in Manchester, a very good practice called Stevenson Mills. That's fine. I had my diploma show and um, got my part three and worked there and then went through a succession, evolved through a series of practices, which is a big shaggy dog story, which I won't bore you with. Um, And then after about, 20 years being an architect and in practice and working in various size practices and owning, you know, I'm being an owner of one, co-owner. Um, my life changed for personal reasons and I ended up working in an, an agency with my brother who then retired and I took over the agency and then the agency worked, believe it or not, I jumped from being an architect into working in consumer marketing. <laughs> so that was with brands like um, Lurpak and Mark Spencer's, and uh, right. I mentioned before uh, anything from Lurpak to Bob the Builder, um, a lot of packaging, a lot of brand creation, <laughs> a lot of work in the dairy business, a lot of work in retail and other things. Um, and then I merged with the, uh, I took over the business, and I merged with the Danish agency because I competed with them with the Danish Swedish client, which was Arla Foods. So, and I was with them up until. Oh, uh, you know, for about 15 years. And um, just fully in 2019, they wanted to go in a different direction. I had built up a business and gone from consumer marketing into business to business over about seven years. And most of the business is actually working with manufacturers in construction. Because I figured that having been an architect, understand the way products work, how they're specified, how they fit together that I'd be a good fit working for, mar- for marketing departments in construction marketing and helping them communicate with architects. And so I moved into that. And in 2019, I set up my own consultancy, at the, you know, a party company of the Danes in a very amicable way. I wanted to go in a different direction. And um, yeah, I've been doing that ever since. So that's really what my job is. Um, and for the last eight years, um, and by the way, I lived down south for a lot of, a lot of that, about 10 years I lived in Oxfordshire. Moved back up in twenty two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. And I got involved in Manchester Society of Architects. I've been involved with them ever since. I raised, I look after the sponsorship program and the marketing and communications program. And um yeah, I sort of helped, you know, helping the society grow and its reputation grow, rebranding it. Um, you know, all that kind of support stuff. Um i so I'm really very much on that side uh rather than actually amazing the architecture side and support kind of communications and marketing and sales <laughs> so that's
0: kind of me well so that's, that's that, yeah well that's the um that's the 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 controversial word sometimes in architecture isn't it uh paul sales sales you know it's Ooh. like it can architects be, love that it, word it yeah. could be it can yeah, it could get oh it's sales, but it's kind of necessary and the most successful people I know have to be good at presenting and marketing, which is in fact sales. But uh, look, I'm gonna give you a round of applause. We'll have to imagine <laughs> we <we've> got a <laughs> for it sure. for the audience, yeah. yeah. And I always used to trip up all over because I when I was in um when I was in Manchester School of Architecture, they had the MSSA, which is the Manchester Student Society of architecture. And of course, you've got the MSA, which is awesome as well. And and for anyone listening to you who hasn't checked out the MSA Manchester Society of Architects, you should check that out. And it is different than the Royal Institute of British Architects, the RIBA. While you work together, it's different, isn't it, Paul? Is that correct?
1: Well, technically, we are an affiliated branch of the RIBA, which actually makes us Right. I've been told this by Alan Jones, the last president. Um, next Manchester Society Fox yeah. technically the largest RIBA branch in the world. Um, it's oh, wow. the way, oh there you go. Because it the way London is structured with different societies, it's it's it doesn't work quite the same way, and it's very centralised in London. And then the other big branches was was in Hong Kong, and then we eclipsed them about three years ago, I think. Um. No, but it's interesting you talk about sales. One of the, and you, you being in working with, um, you know, with, with practices and with people looking, you know, in terms of the jobs market, um, architecture, social. One thing I always, a, a little trick I, I like to talk to students of architecture about, I say, like, okay, you got a portfolio, you got a, you got a, a, a CV, a letter and a CV, and you've got a portfolio. One of them's marketing, the other one's sales. Which is which? And I, not many of them get it the right way around, to be honest. Um, really, which, really. Yeah, which, which reveals the difference in people's misunderstanding. The difference between marketing and sales. Now they overlap, overlap a lot nowadays, but they are fundamentally different. Ones we call inbound, ones outbound. So I, I, I should do it with you, actually. if you prefer to do it? Which ones, which?
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. So I got to think carefully. So which ones, which? Well. You send your CV out, right? So yeah. that, to me, I think it's then marketing. Absolutely right. Right? Okay. I've got a virtual round of for me. Sorry. But then you're saying that the portfolio, because it's inbound, suddenly I'm invited for an interview. I have that meeting. Then it's effectively a sales meeting. I am saying to the employer... I am the right person to fulfill your needs. You should hire me. Without saying that directly. Well, you could say that directly, but most people do (laughs) that. And the other way to put it is... What do you think, Paul? Absolutely. One's one's an MQL, the
1: other's an SQL. That's a marketing qualified lead and a sales qualified lead. Okay, so the only purpose of sending your CV out is to get an interview. I mean, you might get the job without an interview, who knows, but... Primarily the role of the CV is to get you in front of them. Right? So it, the thing is basically it's done its job when you're in the when you're in an interview situation, then at that point, they've, they've made a decision to interview you purely based on what they're like, what they're looking at. So at that point, I always say when you're in an interview situation, it's your job to lose. Okay. You know, yes, you, you, yeah. you, 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 that's very true. So you're selling in that situation, and there's a few rules of sales, um, and as few rules of marketing. Um, but but yeah, so the right way around one is marketing, the other is sales. And, and yes, I always don't like the word sales; I'd rather use the word business development, which is they're all euphemisms for sales, basically. And but we all sell, it, all the it's time. selling. Yeah, but we do it all the time. Yeah. Everybody does yeah. it every day um, yeah. to somebody. And all you're doing, all yeah, there's a misnomer in sales that you can sell something to somebody that they don't want to buy. You can't. It doesn't work. Humans don't work like that. No. You, you, sales. No. It it,
0: it 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 doesn't.
1: It's about present. It's about presenting Carry. yourself in the best possible light. And the the object isn't to sell yourself. The object is to is to present yourself in such a way that they want to buy you. There's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody thinks of like it's shops, of people banging on doors. That it doesn't work like that, and and it, it, it works by you being the obvious choice and thinking of all the attributes and the benefits you're demonstrating to them, of articulacy, skills, experience, all of those things. What are they looking for? Well, you, and that's what you're selling. Like when you're doing a a, a presentation in college on the scheme, a crit. That's sales, it's all sales.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. It's just, yeah. You know, very um, you, if you, you don't want to get yourself kind of caught up in it, you know, um, in in the language of it, because um, you know, architects very often they, they're, they're uncomfortable with the idea of sales, so they call it marketing. Of course, but
0: marketing's different. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> marketing, marketing's very different. I'll tell you. One quick antidote before we move on, because currently I'm building up my, my business and uh, mm. one of the things I needed is to use a service, um, an external job board, because I know the architecture social is a job board and I'm building that, but I was talking with one of the, with the sales represent, uh, representatives and who was terrible, right. But I was really interested in the product. And what I noticed is that I was still engaging because I wanted the product in spite of the salesperson and and that kind of shows you in my opinion that people usually make their minds up beforehand and i still went ahead in spite of him. now that, that's really interesting at the same time though i think uh, in terms of sales it's not always that way and just because you get a meeting actually putting more information in front of the person could lose you the opportunity. So in terms of the interview, like a classic example years ago, and of course, me and you will speak (laughs) anonymously, Paul, and this is, uh, this could have never happened or not, but I met someone that I was interviewing (laughs) from um, my previous company and uh, was talking about a previous employment that they had in an architectural practice, and it was to become a recruiter and the person was like, Yeah, yeah. I, I I really enjoy and I was I was quite sold on this person. I thought it would be great. And they was like, Yeah, yeah. I had a great time there, apart from when I was in the staff party and I made these um rude remarks. <laughs> and then um I got ejected and I got very unhappy with that. So I went onto a lady's computer and wrote out all this stuff and sent it to everyone. And then the police came and arrested me. But I'm fine now. And I was like, Okay. You totally lost the job. (laughs) I can't hire you, but I would never have known that if the person didn't assert the information, that's an extreme example, but you there's sometimes when things are going well, you don't insert things into the conversation, which can derail the deal. And to bring it back to the point I had before is sometimes I think salespeople think they, oh, I did a fantastic job because the person signed up. And in the example I give at the start, no, I already wanted to invest in that job board to try it out. I bought it in spite of the person, not because of the salesperson's techniques. But unfortunately, that poor soul will go on to the next 10 companies, do the same thing and go like, wow, why aren't they buying from me? So you have to be careful. You don't insert things that you shouldn't. And I think all these extractions which we're talking about, I'm talking to you about it as as someone who owns a business Mm. and making decisions. And that effectively is what a job hire is. They're hiring people to solve problems in their company. So rant over, Paul. But before we move on, is there anything you'd like to add to my ramblings? Well, two things. Um, One is a a book I could recommend. (laughs) Um, Oh,
1: please. Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, because what you've described there is what you call cognitive bias. Okay. And he covers this. He got a Nobel prize for behavioral economics. Um, uh, his partner unfortunately died before and he can't award Nobel prizes posthumously, but, um, and I have a slide in my presentation to a client that clients I use and from that book, and it says people make emotional decisions for rational reasons, yes. Okay, correct. So basically, correct. you're right. A lot of time, what what you can do if you're not careful, you can talk yourself out of the sale. Now, I'll, I'll do the other, which leads me on to the second thing briefly. When I was a young architect, <laughs> I was doing an office building and um, working with this very experienced client, and he was self-made multimillionaire, and he, he made his fortune through furniture shops. And, um, he was a sales guy. He was very, very good. And he lived in an Edgar Wood house. It was beautiful. And I went to see him cause I was presenting to him, the design I'd done for a reception desk uh, or a way Let's call it a reception desk a bit, but an understatement. The, the thing, and this is 25 years ago, the thing was going to cost 30,000 quid then because it was made out of limestone and. And I presented it and he went, okay, he went, yeah. So I carried on talking and he went, Paul, can I stop you? He says, you're a nice, f-. he says, I like you, Paul, you're a nice guy, you're very honest, you're very sincere. He says, but shut up. He says, because if you carry on talking, you're going to talk me out of it. He says, when somebody says, great, go, thank you. That's great, okay, so um, next step, yeah? Yeah, um, yeah. and, and yeah. That's a Good old for interviews, actually. So if somebody's going with, we really like your portfolio. So you move the conversation on, you move the conversation. Okay. So, you know, how do you think I could fit into this? I mean, I've got ideas about, I really keen to learn, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's the kind of thing that's going to help. Not
0: how much, <laughs> you know, that's the sort of, exactly. yeah. Anyway. Well, that's if it, I have but, a clever question you asked. Well, it's, um, us just before we move on on that, I love that when you said where can you see me in this company? How do you see me fitting in? What projects do you see me working on? What skills do I have, which are useful? What will you develop? What that's clever about those questions, actually in the interview, you're visualizing it in the hiring manager where that you could potentially fit in. And, and hopefully if the interview has gone well, then they're imagining things they can go, oh, I think you'd be good in this project and you'd be good on Jamie's team or what have you. And that's halfway to you getting in the door. So I think those are great questions. And I, I, and I agree with you not to just say, what is the pension? What is the benefits? What times do you clock off? And it's good to have a work-life balance, but the people should be interested in the company first and foremost, and then the benefits. Of course, everyone wants a good quality of life, but the company's missions, goals, and you helping them on that journey is going to be. The, the 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 at the the deciding factor um usually in you getting hired. You know. There's a there's a there's another
1: book there actually by oh hang on a second, what's his name? It's about motivations and incentives. Um Payoff. Um by a guy called mm. Dan Ariely. Now it's great because like there's a payoff for everything. Now I've interviewed enough people um as an agency owner i don't employ anybody now but i used to employ you know quite a few people interviewed plenty of people and i could figure out in the first 10 minutes you know if less than that really and the thing i always said yeah you just know
0: sometimes
1: what the thing is if you've got enthusiasm energy commitment and they can clearly design or whatever they've clearly experience, but they don't know necessarily what you want them to do I have think to myself, you're high for character, you can teach skills, but you're high you high for their ability yeah. and their character and their personality, especially if they're in the sales or client facing role. It, you know, if they don't understand this that or the other, like, don't worry about that, I'll teach you that. What I need you to be is you know you're the kind of person that people can relate to, and there are also people that you would never yeah. put in front of a client but they're good at other things. You just keep them in the outfit. Because that's not what they're about. You know, and that's fine. They're, you know, horses for courses. But yeah, um, yeah. and you know, th- th- everybody knows when you're interviewing somebody, everybody knows that they really want to know how much, how many hours, what's the career progression going to be like, all of those things. But if you're a smart interviewee, you don't focus on that. You focus on what's, what's, What's the payoff for the person you're going to work for? You know, what are you? You know, what's the benefit to yeah. them working with you? And it's, you know, and you you will, you know, you you, you put your best foot forward. Um, and mm. I always say, basically, things like portfolios start with a bang, end with a bang. It's I, that's marketing communication. That's true. It's like, you know, you with something memorable, and don't put too much rubbish in between. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but anyway, sorry, that's, that's true. A, no, I love it and the, and you're right. I think there's no point filler. Um, you know, that you want no filler or killer. I always describe a portfolio should be like the best hits. It's not the full Beatles discography. You just need the the tracks because in that hour you want to cover all all, all the bases. Um so I completely agree with you. And I think, it's a playlist. I think we've got a lot of nuggets there. Yeah, exactly. And you want it and you and you move with the conversation. And the last, last thing, because I, I could enjoy this conversation with you and was in this point, because it's close to what I do. And I want to know about Manchester. But the last thing I would say, and before we move on, is that people have to be, and it's okay, it's like this interview. We have to be okay with the ebbs and flows and where the conversation mm-hmm. goes. Because where if you stick by this script, which you've overly prepared, I think you tend to get caught out in life, and especially in an interview. Because the moment something doesn't compute with that script that you've wrote, it's almost like you were the operating system, the computer, you can crash and you go, Oh, and then that's, um, that's not, um, that's probably not the hey. best flow. And it's okay not to know everything. You know, uh, I could give you three rules or three ideas, three principles,
1: sorry. And I ran my agency yeah. to the point where I had these framed on the wall. So I didn't have to keep repeating them to people. Okay. And it was dead simple and you can apply it to lots of situations like Portfolios interviews, anything like this. First one is Yeah. Marcus Aurelius. Okay. Of any given thing, ask what is its nature? What is its purpose? You'd be amazed how few few people actually ask themselves that question. What is this thing? You know. uh, It's actually that quote came from Silence of the Lambs by Hannibal Hannibal Lecter. This is, you know, his question was to, to to Jodie Foster. What does he do? This man you seek. He covers. and how do you learn to cover You cover what you see every day. And so, you know, he was trying to get Jodie Foster to actually figure it out because he knew the answer. So that's the first one. What is it? What is this thing? What is a CV? What is an interview? What is it for? Yeah. Second thing is what's the idea? Cause without an idea. Yeah. And you, you build things around an idea. Is that, it, that has value and people can perceive it. And the third one mm. is God is in the details. In other words, don't yeah. make sure it's seamless, make sure it's practiced, make sure it's toned and it's, you know, don't over practice the interview, but make sure you know your material so you can read it upside down. For instance, know the product. Exactly. Know your product. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so that, that yeah. I ran an agency on that principle. I still run my agency on it now um and and you know but it's show. amazing it's the number of people who forget about basic work. principles
0: yeah yeah well look i mean it's it's impressive and um i think i guess even though we've kind of talked about it in TV and portfolios as you said i i still think that the the premises for what we're talking about it's like a lifestyle thing and and the moment i think someone understands that and starts applying it to the way they do business, the way they are, the way they um, can handle interviews, the way they can handle being put on the spot, I think the easier things become. And, um, it, and I think it adds so, so much value. But tell me, Paul, because they will move the conversation along slightly now. So sure. how did you first of all get involved with the Manchester, um, Society of Architects then? I was actually
1: contacted by the president at the time, um, and he wanted right. to know. Um, he he wanted to know. Um, he wanted to. He, he, the, the The society had gone through the pain of the last financial crisis, and um, it yeah. it he felt it had lost direction. It lost a lot of momentum. Um, the you know there were a lot of people working in the council who were how can I put this nicely. Um, they weren't very exactly enthusiastic or um there was a lot of cynicism and a lot of anger uh, and on, some of it was understandable because they right. they'd, they'd lost their shirts during the financial crisis and you know so mm-hmm. he he brought me into sort of like effectively rebrand it um because obviously I work in branding communications and first thing it, we did was, I'm not, I'm not talking about design the logo, by the way, that's just the tip of the iceberg. It was that we did surveys. We did a whole bunch of stuff and we found out, well, what, are pe- what do people yep. want? You know, what's like, yeah, what's the idea? Yeah. So we came up in the end with a simple statement of what we do. And that was, and it stayed the same sense. Yep. And it's to champion and nurture the present and future architects of Manchester. That's what we do. And everything we do is measured against that. And so I got involved with that, and then they asked me to stay on and help with sort of um, things like raising sponsorship. And that's pretty much uh, um, one of my major roles um, since. um, Is is looking at the financials, but also revamping the communications, how we, what we call things, you know, the way we present things. the kind of things we do, but my job is also to represent the sponsors and the partners so they get something out of it and sticking a logo on something's just not enough. You know, you, you've got to, there has gotta be a marrying of win, you know, the win, win, you know, what which called it a non-zero sum game, you know, where you, where everybody gets something out of the relationship, everybody, um, cause otherwise it's, yeah, it good. doesn't work properly. So, so my, my ongoing role if you like is to make sure that happens. And we've got a great council now, full really enthusiastic people. Um, it's grown like topsy. Um, we've, like, say we, you know, if you just measure it by one metric, when I joined the 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 awards the year I joined, two hundred people turned up. In twenty nineteen, just before the pandemic, we had a thousand. And last October, even though we were had a gap in the. We still had five hundred and twenty. Now these are numbers that the RIBA look at in London. Go, how do you get those people there? Um, and so much to the peculiarity of the geography of Manchester and its nature. So it's a very different kind of society compared to other cities. Um, you can't really yeah. compare to say Birmingham or, or London. It's it's much more fragmented. Manchester is much more cohesive. So it's a uneasy. A lot of Manchester, people. yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll have to pop up for one, especially now you've got the Tog Hotel and all that jazz. You can have oh, yeah. beers and pop up. and uh, We'll invite you I'd for to, a... I'd love to pop back. It's
1: You'll come to our awards. Yeah. 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 Be we'll a good... send you a ticket. We'll send you a ticket. Come
0: on. All right, I'll be there. But look, well, well done with all this stuff and growing it. I'm going to give you <laughs> another virtual clap on our virtual audience here. But um, so that's awesome, and I'm glad the numbers have grown. So, what's it been like lately, then, Paul? Have you found that the MSA has had to respond to things in the current climate, or is there anything happening? I mean, at the time of recording, this is now, um, you know, just getting into March twenty two twenty twenty two, yeah. isn't it? So, I'd love to know what you f- how you've seen things at the moment and what the MSA is up to.
1: Well, I mean, uh, there's a couple of things there. I mean, first of all, our position um, based Mm. on the mission statements to champion and nurture, we don't, we're not the RIBA. Okay. Um, I always say we're, we're, we don't get involved in Mm. politics or in any particular strand of movements. You know, we, we, we're perfectly happy to host people who want to talk about things, but we don't have a position ourselves because we don't have the skills in Mm. house or PR skills to deal with that kind of thing, and so we rely on the RIBA to take. So, for instance, like um, over the pandemic, um, we had to cut right back on live events, of course, and um, but we we've, we've been doing. We we flipped to a more digital, and like, like most people did, using Zoom. And and with interestingly, one of the the, the major successes has been the CPD program, which I run, um, which has got carried on virtually fortnightly right the way through. And if anything, we get better numbers than we did beforehand mm-hmm. when it was yeah. live, because it's a very convenient way to continue his CPD um, without having to walk somewhere, and etc. Um, and the lecture series, and um, so everything else really quietened down. But, of course, over that period, we had a number of other things crop up, um, and, of course, the latest is the current, you know, when everybody's finally thinking we're getting back to some kind of normality then um, Vladimir Putin decides to send his troops across the border into Ukraine. Um, now, once again, I'm yeah, very sympathetic true. about that, that- um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're supportive and we're, we're, we we you know, but we, you know, for instance, we, 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 you know, we wouldn't put a statement out there because you know, I, we'd rather do something, you know? So we're looking at ways in which we can support, you know, I don't know, is there any Ukrainian architects in the, in the, in the area we're looking at? Looking to them to see if they, you know, we can support them or you know, it, to the Ukrainian yeah. community Good. in general. Um, but but we we try and stick to our our kind of um, we're not the Ministry of Fun exactly. It's more like a mixture of learning, networking, and and socializing and fun. So you like we have three strands to our, what we do, and we tend to stick to those because. You know, that's what we we deliver you know anything from barbecues to C P D. So uh it and and that's really the positive positive contribution, I suppose. Uh, wherever you are in Ukraine. Yeah.
0: Amazing. We try and do yeah, that. Anyway, I, if it, obviously, yeah, it, it's um that's true. I wonder because it normally be takes a week or two to publish this, but obviously we're in the midst of the you know, Ukraine wars. pretty yeah. um it pretty caught me by surprise i guess i live in my own little western bubble um mm. obviously awful um what if you saw me by the way they're frantically moving around it's because my um because i forgot to turn my uh, my phone off and someone was trying to ring me during the interview so i was like fran- <laughs> frantically like do not disturb you know and i was like got a voicemail someone would keep ringing so i turned off do not disturb but Note to anyone in the podcast. I've been doing this for two years. <laughs> I still forget. I still to forget to take a turn off the phone. That's the downside. The upside with technology is so good. The downside is so much distraction sometimes, isn't it? With notifications, things popping off. um And obviously, oh, no, it's, it's, I can it's, understand it's right now. People feel sorry. sorry go go on. on. No, I was just saying it makes you
1: human. No, please. I, I, I like it when things don't go to plan because. You know, that's, that shows it's live and it's human and it's not oh so super slick and edited. <laughs> Although you might edit this bit out. I don't yeah.
0: Care. No, I'll keep it. I keep it in. And and there's two reasons for that. I kind of like, um, as you said, the, the human nature of it. But also, I, I don't have the time to overly edit things right now. So unless it's something you specifically request, Paul, and it all goes in, including my phone going off and everything. So um, What's What's that's, it? I think that's... The- <laughs> That's the, it's the best way. It's the best way. And so, all right, well, look, you've got lots of stuff going on at the MS and um, MSA. And you mentioned to me before we were doing this in particular, there was something that the MSA is doing to deal with the ongoing, some of the ongoing issues that architects are facing. Um, is it in terms of insurance or something? Do you want to expand upon that, Paul, what you, what you wanted to have a little chat about as well?
1: yeah I mean, one of the things that I mean I, I obviously I work with the architecture community and trained as an architect and all that sort of stuff practiced and cetera. you know i you know i i I can understand what's going on in the world of architecture, even though i'm I have to be honest i don't I don't practice as an architect, so i don't I'm not in the thick of it, but you can see trends that come yeah. out of, 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 what's going on. And, w- and one of the things which has happened and everybody will be aware of it, you're especially being an RIBA member, um, is that they're, they're, introducing competency tests. And this is all basically coming out of the, the new acts, like the building safety bill, future building standards, future home yeah. standards, um, the change of parliament and change in all sorts, especially in the, in the post-grad fan world and the, the RIBA is way ahead. Um, says that, no, going to get tested this year. And since I'm an RIB member, I'm going to be tested, even though I don't practice. Um, but I, that's okay. You right. know? Um, but one of the issues is because the RIB be having you know, uh, going through a large organizational change, um, which I'm sure most of you people will be aware of, even if they're not RIB members. Um, a lot yeah. of people are asking, well, what do we need to know? What am I going to get tested on and what do I need to know? So one one of the activities I'm doing is actually pulling together um people to cover um we've got three now. Um <clears throat> a fire engineering consultant to talk about part B um, and the yeah. belly safety bill. Um yeah. in addition to that, we've got a, a sponsor who's Project for Safety, which does CDM and health and safety. And another one, we've got a building regulation consultant, who can talk about Part L and relate those. So he's an approved inspector. And so what what, what we're trying to do is to actually, and this will be free and it'd be broadcast either as CPD and we'll probably put stuff on our knowledge hub. And listen, it doesn't, we don't care where you are, by the way. I know we're Manchester Society of Artists, but if you're you're a student or a young architect or an even an older architect in London or Scunthorpe or Exeter, you know, by all means go to our website and use it. We don't mind. Okay. We you know we're, we're here for architects and student architects. Um primarily Manchester, but you know, it's a it's a digital world. So what we want to do is actually yeah, yes. is, is have presentations and we know these will be popular, and then we'll have some content of that on our knowledge hub, which is a learning content site. Um, on our website, um, which, which we put obviously manufacturer partner information, but also we put things on like about, um, you know, office management and, um, you know, mental well, well-being issues as well. We're trying to cover a broad range of things, but we th- we think those are going to be a major concern because I, cause you rightly said PI insurance is a nightmare and, um. It's a very unresolved situation. So the only thing you can do in a situation where you're having problems with PI insurance is make sure that you are fully tooled up. And so, because of course, in any situation where you, you, know, if you end up being accused of professional negligence, then you have to remember the definition of that. And that is, you know, reasonable skill and care. If you, if you go to as far as you can to exercise reasonable skill and care, you're in the clear. Nobody says you have to be perfect, because the law recognises you're not. But you have to, have to, you know, know to look. And so that's why it's important for us that, you know, we give architects what they want, because at the moment it's very confusing. They don't really know what they're looking at. So we're we're just making a start. Yeah, and see how we go on. So, um,
0: Mm. yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's not, it's not, um, it's not a revenue drive for us, I would say. Um, because no, a lot of these people buy content and we promote them. So there's no money changing hands here. It's just knowledge. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's- so, so that's the kind of thing we want to but- do more of, as well as tempting bowling and dinners and barbecue. Oh, and fire aside. <laughs> um, and the fun bit we found out was that we, there's a Manchester society box golf society that's existed before I was born. And, um, and I oh, didn't goodness. even know about it. <laughs> so, you know, we've got a golf society for those people who like golf. Um, and um, yeah, well, so, so all sorts of things, but, but my, my area of focus really is, is, is on the knowledge side. And um, cause you know, I know that I know it's worrying people.
0: Yeah. it Well, well, hopefully, We'll have to see how the things continue to develop over the next mm. few months, but it's quite nice that the Manchester Society of Architects will help people out on that, and and also it's very interesting that there's a society within the society. It's like Inception, isn't it? But uh, I did fall now. What? Well, well, at this point, normally. It's unfair that I'm the host and I get to ask all the questions. No, no. So I always no. like to ask people on the on the spot if you'd like to ask me one or two questions in the last ten minutes or so of this interview. Is there? Do you have any things that you'd like to ask me, Paul?
1: Yeah, I I, I suppose I'd like to ask you. I mean, obviously, as you can tell by my you know thinning and graying mane, I'm not <laughs> I'm not in the I'm not in a flush of youth. Um and I when I qualified in the 80, trained in the eighties, um, I know it's true. Um, I suppose what I'd ask you is is how do you perceive um the nature of architecture, you know, the the, the people you're talking to, the graduates, the postgraduates, how do they see the art the, the architecture world now? I mean, do they see it as a yeah, a fun place to be? Do they see it as a challenging place? Do they see it as a threatening place a worrying place i mean what what what's the perception
0: of the architecture it's a world? few mixed things paul yeah i think i think it's a good question and it's kind of a big question i'll attempt to kind of de decompartmentalize it a little bit i think that first of all i have to be a little bit sympathetic to the current situation of students going in because there are barriers even economic barriers Mm. um which i never had i mean when i was studying they just put the price of university up from one thousand pounds a year to three thousand i remember saying paul that's outrageous you know it's like absolutely outrageous i remember feeling really short changed but actually i feel quite privileged right now because um it's like nine thousand pound a year to go to university and Mm. architecture is not a quick career and i did a tally and I'll I'll double check it, but it worked out in my head that um, to do your part two and do your part three, if you take into account living costs and accommodation, it's like ninety grand, Paul, to get a um to get to get qualified. And okay, you're going to be working out working for a year or two. But where I go in with this is that I think that naturally, that is going to have an impact on how people enter the architecture profession. And I think that's why now there's much higher scrutiny online about employment conditions, because as we know, having been in architecture, it's, it can, sometimes you have deadlines. It's not necessarily a nine to five job. And no. yes, people go into it because they're passionate about architecture. And unfortunately it's one of these things. I, although what I would say on the other side is that when people, as students have inherited such amount of debt. You have to kind of understand why it's almost like one reason after another after another then that romantic notion of becoming an architect the real world kind of brings you down and i think that's where i'm seeing now perhaps some people further on in their career like not understanding this kind of frustration with part ones and part twos because paul there's been frustration in the architect's journal and a few others of part twos feeling disgruntled mistreated and There are a lot of good employers, and unfortunately, there are one or two cases of um, maybe things are a bit difficult, and rightly or wrongly, I guess what I'm trying to say is that from my perspective, because of this shift in the education system, because of the costs and everything, I think that's where things are at, and I do think that there is kind of a fatigue, and while I'm on the REBA council, I think it's fair to say objection objectively what i see of speaking to people is that there's maybe a sense of like um disengagement from rebuff for one reason or another or this you know dis, disenfranchise is the word i want to say you know a little bit yeah. like i don't know and and so i think that right now it's an interesting time at the same time there's still a lot of awesome students going into it who want to build awesome buildings and you know, architecture is a rewarding career in that way because you get to build stuff which impacts people's lives. So it's not all doom and gloom. And that's that's the last thing I want to say. It's not all doom and gloom. No. But the landscape has changed. And it's changed for me. You know, I'm more 35 now. It's changed for my... Like, you know, it's much, much different studying architecture now in the current education system, if that makes sense, Paul.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Am I'm is even more fortunate than you. I mean, when I studied... There was no fees at all, and in fact, I got a grant ah! and um, ah! Ah! It, it, it people th- uh, there's a bit of misconception about this because it's um what you got to remember also is that the basic rate of income tax was higher um so you you end up paying for it one way or the other um but mm-hmm. but i I recognize that you know and i th- well, i was because I work in the consumer world for a long time. I recognize straight away, the minute you start charging students for a course, they'll regard it as a product and that that product is their thing, are buying. Yes, exactly. And so an immediate example exactly. of that, and I hate to say this, but is grade inflation because it's an easy way to make people feel better about them is by saying, here, here's a first instead of a 2-1. Correct. So they'll think, yeah. And there's, yeah, yeah, that's but, true. And when I hear there's 40% firsts, awarded? Well, when I was studying, it was 7%. So yeah, you know, the, the, it was the, hard the, r- to
0: get a first when I was studying as well, Paul.
1: Yeah. and uh, No, no r- you know, it, it's an easy way for universities, schools of architecture, and not, not just architecture, but to actually um, say, here's value. Okay. But, you know, it's a bit like, um, I think I told you this before, but you know, you go and buy lasagna in a supermarket go into, I don't know, Sainsbury's, the big Sainsbury's. And how many levels of lasagna can you get? You can get like family basic, you can get, well, the way they talk about it marketing is you have basic, you have standard, you have standard plus, you have premium, you have super premium, and then there's one beyond that. So you could find a situation where even Mark's Suspense sells two or three different types of lasagna at different price points. Okay. So it's what you call premiumization. So you go and buy a Charlie Biggum's lasagna, it'll cost you nine quid, or you buy an even uh, uh, something we could charge three quid. And it's about the ingredients. Okay. So you are paid for ingredients and it's the same with this. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to start saying, you know, the whole point about premiumization is, is that premium is rare. It's not common. Okay, so if everything's premium, nothing's premium, and what will happen is you'll end up developing premium plus because everybody recognizes that, well, hang on, you know, there'll be, so there'll be a, a, a first, there'll be a starred first, you know, because it's basically
0: a product. Yeah, the first, the first of the first of the first, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah, so you know, I, I, that, yeah, that's I, a bit I, of a shame. And I think what, what
1: happens is, as I always say this to students as well, is that it doesn't matter what the university tells you you've got, it's what the employ- your future employer believes you can do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you want to argue to a different level, you know, uh, a qualification in architecture is, is its only purpose is, is, I mean, I know it isn't, it's a thing in itself, but primarily people regard it as a mechanic to get them an income and a future. So, it's a means to an end. Yeah. It's not an end in itself. I mean, yeah. you do a PhD, it might be an end in itself, but an MA or a diploma, graduate diploma in architecture is a means to getting you a job in practice. And so, mm. and, the, and what comes out of that really is what you know. And, uh, you know, so I, I did things differently. I mean, I went and worked on a building site. I took two years off in the middle of my course and worked in practice and did 22 months just to learn how to detail and things like that. So that, I was thinking about the end of it all, what are they going to be looking at? And I thought construction technology, the ability to draw, the ability to understand how things are put together. Um, and I still think those are the same, yeah, actually. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a lot harder to, it is, it is harder in some ways and it's, and it's not in others. It's, it's just different, I think.
0: Well, yeah, it's a different, it's a different landscape and, um, and I guess I guess it just opens up the com- uh, the conversation, but um, I do think that's where there's a lot of frustration. But then also, I think that um, where I'm sympathetic as well is you know the mechanics of the business of architecture. Mm. Like, you know, can there's, there is a, there is a point where there's only so much you can pay a part one and part two if your business is performing this way. Okay, there's a big conversation where. We will just touch the surface now of like how you run the practice, how profitable you can get. But I think in, in, in general, put it this way, what I would say is that, I mean, I don't regret doing architecture. I learned a lot from it and a lot of the lessons I learned, you know, I applied to business now I'm still involved in architecture, but uh, you know, I did choose to leave it at the point because I didn't want to do my part free. And I get it's scary to do that, but you know, like as you're doing now, you're involved in architecture, or you're involved in the Manchester Society of Architects. It's really important. You add you add something to the industry, but it's also okay not to do the chosen beaten path if you want, isn't it? Mm. And that's where I would, I would, I want to echo what I felt it was awesome. What you said is like you chose to do those construction details. You chose to do your path and i commend that but, and and i chose to do my part one and part two and i don't regret it for a second even mm-hmm. though i don't do any of that anymore because i learned so much from it but um at the same time i guess what will be interesting is that i can understand with with architecture it's harder to fall into it people make a conscious decision i think like if you if you've thought you want to uh, study architecture there's a reason for it. And I, I don't believe that it's a money-driven, pure thing. It's because you want to create something. And and, and that's where it gets a bit strange. And that's where the issue is quite hard to un- unpack. Because, you know, and, and anyone listening here, if, if, if high salaries, architecture, unfortunately, is not the career for you. No. But, you know, if you want to build awesome buildings and, you know, have a a big difference in someone's life by building a hospital, which is super care, useful and performs well, or or a school which people will use, then um, that helps children have a better quality of life. Then it's a great career. But, you you know, it's it's always... No, go on, Paul. Come on. There's a
1: a principle... Sorry, I know we're near the end. There's a principle called the sunk cost fallacy. If, if you're aware of it, I mean, a lot of architects stay in architecture no. because they think I've invested so much now of my time and my life that I have to keep going. Well, yeah. there's another, This is the equivalent of a sunk cost fallacy and it's called the gambler's fallacy. So basically you keep doubling. Oh, I know what you know with this. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, at yeah. what point do you cut your losses? Okay. Because you're two ways to look at it either. Now, a lot of architects do it because you're right. They get. There's also, there's a principle in Japan Japan called ikigai. Have you heard of it? i I'd definitely look at it. I've just written a piece about this actually for a client. Ikigai is like the sum of things that make life meaningful. Okay, so if you look at it, it's made of four components. Like what does the world need? What are you good at? You know, what do you like? And what does it pay? The interesting thing about that is the economic side of it is only one quarter of it. The rest of it is about other things. So, you might not get the best salary, but you might have a much more fulfilling life than somebody who sits behind a co codes all day. Now, I mean, ask yourself that: how fulfilling is a life sitting there coding? You know, um, or something else. Um, so, there's the ikigai. I recommend people look it up because it it make it make like your students feel better if they read. The principles of vicky guy fact, i'll post something on linkedin about it, see one of the people will look at it it's, Wait, it's well, a good principle you, you know
0: we we'll have to include it yeah I, I i just i i i was i think you've hit the nail on the head and that and that's the thing and i i would encourage anyone that's feeling a bit disillusioned right now to remember why you're doing it and what you want to get out of it what buildings you want to make because it is awesome in that way, I know there's a lot of pressure on. But what other career do you get to build these buildings? And and I know you you do marketing now, Paul. You're passionate about it. You're good at it. But do while well, you run your own practice, you mm. build buildings. And you know, yeah, I'm sure you don't look back at that as a waste of time.
1: You know, no, no, and and it informs your life in so many different ways. Um. Yeah, And also it's one of them, it's, I I, I, I want to look back. I couldn't tell you what my salary was at that point. I can hardly guess, Yeah, but I remember what I built and I remember what the, the process of doing. Yeah. It. And I remember the joy and the pride and the the feeling that I'd done something decently. But I remember I, I did a building, um, an office building in Manchester, and I was talking to the tenants afterwards who took over the building. And one of the people walked past and said, hang on a minute. He says, are you like, are you the architect of this building? I went, yeah, yeah, that's the guy. And they just said, and I said, Co-, and, and all they said was, do you know what? Coming to work is a joy. And I thought brilliant, my job's done. I
0: mm. mean,
1: it, that one thing alone, yeah. I thought, wow, it was four years of pain and fighting the contractor. <laughs> but <laughs> at the end of it, it made a difference. If it made, if it improved people's it working it. life a bit, it was worth it. Um, and you know, Like you say, it could be hospitals. And I I know architects do some amazing work. So there's fabulous, fabulous buildings being built. And, you know, things are making a huge contribution to society. You know, but, you know, architects never never miss a chance to beat themselves up or allow themselves to be beaten up by other people. But as I once said when I worked in, (laughs) last thing i have said, when I worked for a contractor in-house, I remember sitting with the construction team and saying something like, have a little respect for the architect, because until they draw something and design something, you don't know what to do. You can't do your job without them mm-hmm. doing their job. you You all rely on each other. Now they're not going to disrespect you because you've got skills to make this happen, but they've got the skills to to imagine it in the first place and and that is not easy, correct. correct? Um, so, yes, step. As somebody says, stand up straight with your shoulders back. Be proud of what you are and what you do, because it is a rare thing. Yeah, it's a rare and it's a beautiful it's thing. It's amazing. It's a great job. Yeah. I uh, yeah, I, I, I miss being an architect. I do. Um, I won't lie, but you know, I I wouldn't go back because it wouldn't be appropriate. But I've got huge time and admiration for architects working at the coalface, because I know what it's like. Yeah, right. You know. Yeah. Good for them. And 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 it's a great future, even if it's every everything's tough. No, life is always tough, but architecture's got rewards that go beyond other careers, I think. Anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well well said well said. And and just a little um story I here to end on this note. Um I remember one of my directors before saying that his best friend was uh, a banker or a lawyer or something. And he's and on 200,000 or whatever it was, money that this guy can't visualize. And, um, he was saying to, to this director as an architect, I am immensely jealous of you, this guy was like, what are you, you have to be jealous of me for You're the bank, you're ruling the world. You're making all these decisions. You're making lots of money of a beautiful house, just like. You get to do what you want every day you get to design buildings i go for the nine hours every day and i clock in and i do what i don't want and and you get to build so there you go it's always um it's what you what you wanted to do with the time we have here isn't it but on that note paul um i've enjoyed this where can people find you if they want to reach out to have a conversation about um, maybe what you're up to, or the MSA, or whatever. I uh, well,
1: I'm on LinkedIn. You always can not find me on LinkedIn. I'm the weird one on LinkedIn. Um, you know, y- y- I, my website is pathetic, to be honest. <laughs> uh, you know, of <laughs> got a co- couple of sons always got holes in his shoes. Um, but no, um, contact the society. Um, sign up to our, you know, it's ManchesterScienceOfArchSex.com. Um. You can find me on, um, I say, on LinkedIn. By all means, link up with me if you want to hear more. Uh, I publish stuff, not as often as I should, but I'm going to publish on, on Icky Guy because I think it's, it's, it's a comfort. It's it, it puts things in perspective. Um, there are a lot worse things to do in life than be an architect, and there are a lot, there aren't many things as good, I don't think. And I've lived two lives, so, um, and I did earn more money running an agency than as an architect. Um, but being an architect is something I look back on with immense pride and I made a difference to the world in a little way. Okay. Not big way, but you know, we're not, we're not talking Foster's here or Zaha did, but you know, you make a contribution to making the world a better place. And that's, you know, you can say that at the end of the day, well, I, I did my best and I tried to make the world a better place and I found it now that that's something i'll shut up
0: well said. <laughs> well said paul no you don't need to um i love it we will continue the conversation you're always welcome we'll have you on, on a different topic thank you so much paul i'm going to end my pleasure there um podcast now and thank you everyone for listening and have a fantastic day wherever you are take care